All right. Well, hey, church. Uh, my name is Shane Rosty, and I'm the pastor here. If you're new, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for singing with us. And that song touches me. And I, I think as we read the passage today, we're going to see that Jesus means every every part of that song, that he's going to leave the 99 for the one, how he is a good shepherd. Amen? All right. Well, let's Let's jump into, um, I got a quick story for you. How many of you have ever ridden a big yellow school bus? Some of you? Most of you? All of you? How many of you have an awful experience on a big yellow school bus? My kids are like, Dad, how come you don't let us ride the yellow school bus? I was like, kids, I have nightmares from my experience on that big yellow school bus. But when I got into college, apparently it wasn't enough because there was a mission opportunity for me and uh, my students at the time I was a college pastor. We jumped in with about 50 other students in a giant yellow school bus, and we were going to drive. We had three drivers. We were going to drive straight through to a place called Pearl, Mississippi from Laramie, Wyoming. Everybody go, bomb, bomb, bomb. And over the course, the thing about yellow buses is like you just can't get comfortable, can you? Some of you remember that? Like, there is no easy way to sleep. And so we drove straight through. It was supposed to be a 24-hour drive, turned into a 36-hour drive because our bus broke down halfway through. Everybody just maybe cry a little tear for me because it was a painful experience, right? We, I remember trying to get comfy, and you're like laying under the seat. And I'm like, at this point, I'm not a college student anymore. So I'm like underneath the seats trying to get, like, get comfy. Everybody else is like sprawled up all over the place in the bus. We're all just trying to get comfy so we can sleep. And then the bus breaks down, and we get all the way to Pearl, Mississippi, which is just south of Jackson. And I'll never forget, we pile out of the bus. We all look just ragged. Right, just ragged, and we go and we go into this little park, and the whole purpose that we're here for is to outreach to the local community. We're working for one of the local uh, black churches, and so it was a predominantly black neighborhood, and so you got all of these white kids from rural Wyoming fan out into this park, and we just look like sore thumbs, man. And we get out, and we're like, we already look rough. And I remember a couple of people coming up, like, you guys are going to do a barbecue for us? We're like, yeah, we love Jesus, and we love food, and we want to tell you about both. So come to our barbecue. And they looked at us like, weird, like, okay, well, how far did you come? And we were like, we're from Wyoming, and we drove all the way here just to see you. And I remember one gal looked at me, and she just gave me this look like, are you nuts? Like, yeah, kind of. Um, but I'll just never forget how shocked she was that we had come so far just to tell them about Jesus and to give a barbecue for the local neighborhood. Well, what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus, we've already laid the seeds for, for this. He is going out of his way to go on the other side of the, la- the Sea of Galilee or the Lake Gennesaret, whichever you prefer. It's a smaller lake as we would know here in Wyoming. But... Now, let's go ahead and jump into the passage. I want you to keep your finger in the book of Mark, and I want you to turn to Luke 15 before we do. And I want to look at this passage that Jesus is modeling in real life, this thing that he taught in Luke 15.1. In Luke 15.1. So would you follow along with me? It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, 
does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more <laughs> underline this is cool. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And as we've laid the groundwork, the disciples last week, they jumped in the boat with Jesus and being in the boat with Jesus was awesome until they looked up and they saw what? A storm. That's where we said storms are coming. But it said that Jesus turned and he said he wanted to go to the other side. What I want you to pull away from this passage is this. He went to the other side for one purpose. For one purpose. This one messed up demoniac man. That's why Jesus went to the other side of the lake. Let's read this. Uh, Mark 5, verse 1. They came to the, other, to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And uh, just kind of a review, when we use the word unclean there, that word unclean just means that it's not of God. It's, it's not with God. Uh, God, Yahweh, that means. So unclean spirit meets Jesus at, as soon as he gets out of the boat. Verse 3, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with one or not even with a chain. Anybody try to break a chain lately? Just with their, anybody? Some of those really manly men out there. Just For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Can we agree that this guy was pretty messed up? Verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about, did you guys see this? How many? 2,000. Rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends 
and tell them how much the Lord has done and how he has had mercy on you. And when he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and every, everyone marveled, everyone marveled. Would you pray with me really quick? Lord Jesus, I pray this passage that many of us have read, many of us are intimidated by, many of us, this may produce fear in us. God, I pray that today, rejoicing. God, I pray that as we see your ability to deliver, to deliver this man, but also to deliver any in a bad spot, God, that, that we would be able to turn our eyes and our hearts and our lives to reach the salvation that we pray that in Jesus' name. All right, so today we're going to look at seven things to notice about the one on the other side. Seven things to notice about the one on the other side. So we're going to roll through this very fast. If you're a note taker, just take those big headings. Um, so seven things. Are you ready? Got your seatbelts on? Let's buckle up. All right, here we go. Number one, the thing that we see in this passage about the, other, the one on the other side is this, that there is no condition beyond redemption. There is no condition beyond redemption. How many of you have ever felt as if you were beyond help? You ever felt to that, that point where it's just like, man, nothing can meet me here. It is so bad. I am so far in it right now that nobody could possibly rescue me. Of course, there's no way that God would even want me right now. Have you ever been there? You ever had that voice in your head? Well, this is a proof passage that says that there is no condition beyond redemption. No matter how bad it gets for you, Jesus will still run after you. He will still offer you salvation. And so for us, what we need to know is what man couldn't contain. You remember, he broke those chains. Man had tried to gain control of this guy, didn't he? And all of the human devices did what? They fell short, didn't they? They fell short. It's really important for us not to put our full faith and weight in the devices of man to save those who are in a rough spot. Here's what I mean by that. And uh, I'm a, I have a psych degree. I have a bachelor's in psychology, and I think counseling is immensely important. I think it's immensely important for us to be able to have counseling, but our faith cannot be in the secular world of counseling. And it has pervaded our culture it's pervaded the church. This is where we have this term that's pervaded the church, moralistic theistic deism, meaning that God has just become a cosmic counselor that uses the same methods that a secular. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that's not the solution for us. Who is? Jesus. Jesus. And so here, please hear me say this. There's some caution here. Counseling is good to a certain extent. But it cannot be our salvation. It has to be in Jesus. And so for us, what man couldn't contain or control, God can redeem. And so for us, when we feel out of control or so far gone, we need to preach to ourselves in that moment. I was having a conversation. Guys, can I just be real with you? I, I've been sharing with this guy in town here. I've just been praying for him and preaching to him. And, and this is, I'm preparing this. Yesterday, he pulls up and he just says, Shane, I just have too many demons going on in my life. I don't think Jesus can save me. I got to do this on my own. I said, dude, do you know the sermon I'm writing for tomorrow? God overcame thousands of demons in Legion. He can easily overcome your demons. But there was something in this man that's too far gone. 
And I'm praying for him right now. I'm praying that he would, he would hear this message, even if he's not here, that he would just hear this message that God can redeem him. He is not beyond redemption. No matter what you have done or what, you have, what has been done to you, you still qualify for God's grace. Did you know that? And it's important for you to hear that two part. I said what you've done, but also did you know what's been done to you does not make you beyond God's grace. Some of you need to hear that because you've had some real evils committed against you and you feel dirty and you feel beyond God's grace. That is not true. There is no condition beyond redemption. Amen. Man, I just want to tear up that he would love us so much, not because we deserve it or because we earn it, but because our God is a loving God. We don't have to earn the right to be saved. It is by grace. The passage in the Bible that all of us should have memorized, if you don't cling on to this verse with all the weight that you have, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a free, it is a gift of God, isn't it? Boy, we need that truth because the world's gonna tell you you need to earn your spot here. You gotta pick yourself up by your bootstraps. I wanna tell you here, all you gotta do is what this man did, cast yourself at the For those of you who have been trying and trying and trying and failed, let me tell you that it's not about just trying harder. Maybe it's about letting go and letting God take over. That means... And as I was talking to this guy yesterday, that means letting go of the masters and devices that you have in your life to let Jesus. You got to let go of those things that you've run to for comfort and start running to Jesus. Those little vices, for some of us, it's, it's substances. This, this guy I was talking to, he's like, I need cigarettes for comfort. I need alcohol for comfort. Some of us, it's I need drugs. Some of us, it's I need more TV. Or some of us, I need to scroll more. Some of us, we have all of our vices, don't we? But there's this sense that we can let go of those things and run to Jesus. That's repentance, by the way. Did you know that? Repentance is when you let go of your way and you turn to Yahweh. Don't wait to get your life cleaned up before you come. Come to get your life cleaned up in the power of Jesus. Nobody could do anything for them. They tried. Nobody could do anything. He couldn't do this for himself. There's those of us, I can't tell you, guys, how many conversations I've had when I'm sharing the gospel. It's like, hey, come to church. And he's like, well... I've had this response, i got to clean my life up first. Good luck. As the Bible literally says that Jesus is the only way. No one comes to the Father but through him. And so there, there's this sense for us, come to Jesus no matter where you're at, no matter what state you're in, no matter how good you feel or how bad you feel, man, throw yourself at the feet of Jesus with every ounce of strength that you have because there is no condition beyond redemption. Without Jesus, we are all at the mercy. And so as we talk about this man, without Jesus, we are all at the mercy of Satan and his demons. There is literally no defense against him except, and you and I were susceptible before, right? And so for all of our brothers and sisters that are out there that don't know Jesus, and by, by brothers and sisters I mean because they're human, because they're human out there that are fighting this life on their own, they are completely vulnerable to his lies, him defining how to live life. Brothers and sisters, there's no condition beyond. Jesus went to the other side to save a man who many would consider beyond redemption. I want you to see this cool truth. This is cool. Number two, <clears throat> Jesus torments the enemy. 
You know how many horror movies we have today about like the tormenting evils and there's all this fear-based kind of movies that come up, horror flicks, and it just makes, it, it just, to me in my mind, it's, I flip it around and I think demons look at Jesus like a horror movie to them. They're like terrified. You see the word that this demon used or these demons used said, Jesus, don't torment me. Isn't that kind of cool? Literally afraid of the power of Jesus. The closer you get to Jesus, the more your flesh and the devil will, plan, will panic. And so when we look at Jesus torments the enemy, when we start to pursue Jesus, what tends to happen? Have any of you had this experience that the closer you press into Jesus, the more it seems like things are pressing in on you? Things get more difficult. Things go wrong and you're like, what's going on? Maybe it's because you're pressing into Jesus and the enemy doesn't like it. Maybe it's because you're trying to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and the enemy's like, no, I want you to believe more lies and run away from Christ. See, the closer that you get to Jesus, the more your flesh and the devil will panic. Uh, it's kind of that idea of uh, when, when we walk into Christ, it hurts so good sometimes. I think of the, the gym banner. When I go to the gym over here, there's a big banner that says, no pain, no gain. And there's kind of this idea that, that when we walk towards Jesus, it may get more difficult for a time. That's why many give up. They want to turn back because, you know, the enemy will make it very easy for you to go back to your vices. He'll make it extremely difficult for you to cling to Jesus with everything that you have. He will make you pay for that. And your flesh, by the way, as we talk about this, and we're going to go into this more as I continue to teach, one of my favorite things, that we have a spirit versus the flesh, according to Galatians. So there's literally a part of you, brothers and sisters, and a part of me that desires sin and death. It's called the old man, according to the Bible. It's called the flesh. And so as soon as you press into Jesus, what does that mean? Your flesh is going to start feeling it, and it doesn't like it. Because there's literally a part of you dying the more that you press into Christ. Well, Jesus encourages us, pick up your cross and what? Follow me. See, pursuing Jesus is a flesh killer, and it's hard to do because Jesus torments the flesh and the work of the enemy in our lives. And they become desperate. It gets worse. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. For those of you who are struggling with substance abuse, before you, you have this thing called withdrawal, don't you? Where it's going to get worse, you're going to feel awful until you, before you feel better, right? It's, it's a little bit like that. It's harder to walk with Jesus the closer you get to him. Did you know that? So that's number three. He torments the I heard a sermon one time on this passage, and it just moved me. And I, so I had to throw this in here. The wretched man threw himself at the feet of Jesus. And so there's this sense that what we can learn from this man is no matter how bad it gets you can still find the strength to throw yourself into the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Somebody here needs to hear that today. And, and I don't know what it is. The, the man saw him from far off. I have to believe that when that man, what little of that man was actually left in the midst of 2,000 demons, I don't know. But I have to believe that something within that man desperately plead and took over the legs and just said, we have to get there no matter what because Jesus is there. What if we had that kind of desperation for Jesus? As a believer, we woke up and said, no matter what, I don't care how I feel, I don't care how bad it's been today, I am going to run to Jesus because he's the source of my joy. He's the source of my salvation. What if we had that mentality? And it's never too late to run to Jesus desperately. I had to believe that there is some 
piece of desperation in this to run to Jesus. So that's number three. Number four, no one knew it was this bad except Jesus. No one knew it was this bad. That's what I love. The whole book of Hebrews, by the way, teaches us and shows us that Jesus knows our plights. How many of you, uh, when we do premarital counseling, and we find out that oftentimes the wife is trying to express something is going wrong, she feels bad about that, and what does the man always try to do in a relationship? Fix it. Oh, you guys know this is a universal problem then, right? Right? And fix it, and then what does the wife say? It's not about the problem. I want you to just listen and understand. (laughs) I see some women are like, right? Well, there's this sense that that we have a, a Savior who understands our hurts. He knows the depth of our pain like no counselor could. By the way, did you know in counseling, they say, make sure that you don't have any client, uh, they call it transference, that, that you try to make sure you have some kind of wall or block between empathy. That's what your counselors are encouraged because they can't handle your burdens. They're human beings, but you know who can? You know who can feel the depth of what you feel? Jesus. We have an empathetic Savior, right? And he knows what we're facing and he knew he was facing a legion of demons, 2,000. Who knew it was that bad? You think of all of us, we bring baggage into relationships, into the church. We bring baggage, don't we? Any of you perfect people? Uh, you know, if I heard the joke one time, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. Because we are full of sin and desperately in need of Jesus. See, who knew it was this bad? And when we look around at each other, brothers and sisters, and this is not a justification for letting it continue bad, but it is a note that we have an empathetic Savior. Therefore, we should be people, we should be people who know that there's more going on with one another. You ever, this is a, a saying that to change my life and how I react with other people, I want you to repeat this phrase with me. What do I not know? What do I not know? See, every person that you come in contact with has a whole story. And there's something going on sometimes that you have no idea about. This man was facing 2,000 demons. But we know that many of us here sitting in these pews are facing things that maybe they haven't shared with each other. Maybe there's baggage of the past. What do I not know? You ever had somebody get huffy with you <laughs> or get upset at you at, uh, or you have a waitress that just kind of like drops the ball or you have, uh, I know none of you do this, you get traffic rage, right? And that person that gets upset, you ever have somebody like pass you? and like cut you off and you're planning their demise while they're in front of you, next time that happens, say this in your head, what do I not know? What do I not know? What's going on that they had to cut me off? Boy, that's going to increase in us some empathy for one another, isn't it? Maybe we'll cut each other a little bit more slack because the Bible says make concessions for faults. Make concessions for one another. What do I not know? And that's not a justification, right, just to let people, like, kind of do whatever they want. To expect people to just behave isn't Jesus' style. However, notice that a byproduct of relationship with Jesus causes what? Where was the demonic man at the end of the story? In his right mind. See, we can't just lay hold of right-mindedness, but we can lay ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And a byproduct of being at the feet is what? Right-mindedness. Right-mindedness. And so no one knew that it was this bad except for Jesus. Some of you, stuff is going on and we don't know. Um, so here's another one. Salvation can interrupt business as usual. How was the response of the town folk to Jesus delivering this man? They were afraid. They didn't know if they liked this. See, the town folk were used to the crazy man. How many of you sometimes are used to the crazy? Like, oh, just another day in crazy, right? 
What they couldn't handle is the salvation of someone that cost them something. If you notice, the Decapolis cities obviously weren't Jewish because there was a herd of what? Pigs, right? And so that was part of the economy there. And so they were afraid because Jesus was threatening their livelihood, their business. For some of us, man, we're pretty comfortable with, man, those people being over there and, and maybe people make us uncomfortable. We don't want to sit down with them because it's just, man, they're kind of crazy. Most people are crazy, right? But there's this sense that when Jesus comes into town and he begins to deliver people, business as usual kind of breaks down, doesn't it? I guess my, um, business as usual kind of breaks down when Jesus kind of breaks into our lives and into our culture. We need to be prepared for that and not shocked. Uh, I think about this, when I gave my life to Christ, when I decided that Jesus was going to be my Lord, I was 17, and I was in high school, and I had a group of buddies, and when I started to tell them, you guys won't believe what Jesus is doing in my life, you know what they did? They split. Shane, your Jesus makes us uncomfortable. He tells us that we can't smoke weed anymore and drink as much as we want. We can't party as much as we want, so that makes us uncomfortable. In fact, when you're in the room, we feel kind of bad about doing that stuff, so we don't want to be around you anymore. So there's this sense that Jesus threatens business as usual. <clears throat> I think I've shared with you guys before in high school, I was dumped by a girlfriend because I talked about Jesus too much. That was a point. Of, that was like a badge of pride. They were afraid when Jesus delivered this man. Jesus will call your master to account, and so by freeing this one man, we, we get to see these others were afraid of losing what? Money. For us, sometimes it means losing success or popularity, things, self. I've had people, when I share the gospel with them and what prevents them from coming to Christ, they'll say, it kind of sounds like I'm no longer going to be able to be me. I have to be some perfect Christian. That's just not the case, and the fact is Jesus knows who he created you to be better than you know who you were supposed to be. You're, you and I are so confused by what we're supposed to be. And can I get an amen on that? And we get so many mixed messages on, on what a human being, a good human being is supposed to be in today's world. It's like, I don't even know. We look to Jesus and he can define us. And so if you're worried about not being yourself, you will be more you in Christ than you ever would be alone and apart from him. Because see, this man was run by demons when he was freed of those demons himself. Probably for the first time in salvation Salvation can interrupt business as usual. Um, I want you to see understanding grace makes one desperate for Jesus. So when G he, this guy, he's sitting uh, at the feet of Jesus and he runs to Jesus. Jesus uh, delivers him from all of these demons. What was his response to Jesus? He just wanted to be with him. Just wanted to be with him. Like desperately wanted to be with him. See, there's this principle in Scripture, Luke 7, 47, that he who is forgiven of a little loves a little. But that person that's forgiven of a lot or delivered from a lot, they're what? Sold out for Jesus, aren't they? They want to just be with him, be present with him. I was talking to a lady today or uh, this last week, and she's just like, man, I cannot be parted from Jesus. Every day I have to be in his word. I can't imagine what life would be without being with Jesus. He's my life bread. For some of you, it's like your spouse. You can't imagine what life would be like without your spouse, right? It's kind of this sense, man, what would life be without? I couldn't do it. I can't do it. And some of you, by God's grace, you're having to do that without your spouse, but you know Jesus is there with you, and he is the presence that can be uh, there for you in that. So understanding grace makes one desperate for more Jesus. 
He begged to be him, be with Jesus. If I have to, uh, it's interesting, sometimes I think as a pastor when I see people out, uh, out and about and they know I'm a pastor and I walk up to them, I'm like, hey, uh, how are you doing? I didn't see you at church on Sunday. They go, oh, pastor. And it's like all of a sudden, like the defensiveness kind of comes into play. You know, it's like, well, I had this and I was sick and it's, it's okay. Like they, it's like the, the guilt starts to happen, right? Um, there's kind of this idea, if you've ever noticed about people, if, if I have to beg you to be at church or be with Jesus, then something is probably the matter with your relationship. You ever had to drag a believer kicking and screaming to church? <laughs> Some of you are like quietly elbowing somebody, right? But there's this sense, if I have to beg you as a believer of Jesus to come to church, those people who are like, oh man, I got Jesus, I'm okay up in the mountains. Something's the matter if you don't want to be with God's people. Something's the matter because that's where Jesus wants you. You don't get to tell Jesus, you know, Jesus, that's fine. I'm glad you saved me. I'm going to go and do my thing now. Right? That's not lordship. If I have to hold you accountable to God's word, many of us struggle being in God's word, and that's okay. But if it's one of those things, it's like you just have no problem not ever reading God's word. And in fact, when somebody reminds you, like, hey, man, have you been in God's word? You get all mad. I know none of you have been like that. I've done that, right? then something's the matter. If I have to plead for you to share the gospel, this is what I find myself doing in the church all the time. Why, if we have such incredibly good news, why would we hold it so quietly as a church? Why wouldn't we desperately be shouting out good news to everybody? Why is it so hard to get the church to share the gospel? It wouldn't be a matter of I don't know how or I'm afraid to. If you understand, it's like, oh man, I just get it. I just want to do it. I just, oh, I need to do it because that's the heart of my Lord and my Savior. So, so many times, just over the course of my ministry, I've begged, I've begged college students, I've begged churches, brothers and sisters, we are the bearers of the good news. Why do I have to try so hard to convince people to share their faith? Is it maybe that we're not desperate for Jesus and we don't believe we've been saved of a lot and therefore a casual Christianity is acceptable? where I can live my life night and day and work and not talk about Jesus, think about Jesus, I can have a casual Christianity. Can you? Because that sounds like somebody who thinks they've been saved of a little when actually they've been saved of a lot. There's a desperation to be with when you recognize the full gravity of grace that has been offered to you. Um, people make time for what is important to them, don't they? Uh, the problem is never busyness. I did this with college students all the time. You'd hear, hey, would you do this? No, I'm busy. What are you doing? Let's take a look at your calendar. I'm just kidding. And we used to do this exercise where it's like, okay, I want you to fill out what you're doing every day of every week, and I want you to show how much time you're spending being with Jesus versus how much time you're being with everything else that desires of your heart, right? And when you do that, we do that with our leadership. They'd look at each other like, we're really not busy, are we? Most of them weren't. Some of you really truly are busy. Can I get an amen? But... If you were to do that exercise, is there probably wiggle space for that thing that's probably the most important? Yeah, there is for all of us, isn't it? Okay, last one. Here we go. Salvation must go beyond us. Salvation must go beyond us. Here's what I mean. So this man is sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's been delivered of thousands of demons. All he wants to do is be with Jesus. And what does Jesus turn around and do? Go. Jesus, all I want to do is be with you. Go. Jesus, I just want to sit at your feet. Go! Because we have the great commission that says, go therefore into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
Make disciples. Go and make disciples. See, we carry this message, and this man did this, even though he probably didn't want to. Jesus sent him to the Decapolis cities, which were 10 cities that were not Jewish cities or not Jewish. They, they were um, settlements, uh, about 10 big cities. So this man went there, and there's some historical evidence that, that something happened because one man on the other side was sent out. He was delivered, and then he was sent out. He had very little training, didn't he? His only training was what? Like two hours sitting at the feet of Jesus being desperate for him. But Jesus was like, that's probably enough. How many of you are like, ah, I need another evangelism workshop, Jesus. I need an evangelism training. I need to, I got to read the whole Bible first before I share my faith. I'm just going to rule that out. You don't have to. If you understand that Jesus died for your sins and made you right with God, you got the message, carry it. That's all you need. Everything else can come later. We don't carry knowledge. It's news of what Jesus has done by any means necessary. Um, what does this mean for us? I mean, I have friends that wear T-shirts. In fact, I saw the Choats on Wednesday. They had T-shirts that had the, the different scriptures on it. Um, anybody, any of you, uh, so it's kind of like I, I have a couple friends who will wear Christian T-shirts or gospel T-shirts for the purpose of sharing but it's, I love their heart because it's like, by any means necessary, I want to share the gospel. One guy, he would wear gospel sweaters uh, at his construction job where everybody was cursing and dropping the F-bomb on the, on the site. You know that happens at construction sites, right? And then they would turn and look at his sweater. He'd be like, God loves you. And they go, oh. He's like, yeah, man, you want to talk about God's grace? You know, and it's kind of this, by any means necessary, I am desperate for people around me to know Jesus. That means through our songs. Maybe it's letters. Maybe it's emails. Maybe it's making videos for you. Maybe it's conversations with people that you see every day. Maybe it's, I don't know, events, anything that would point to Jesus. What has God gifted with you, gifted you with to share, to be a carrier of this good news? Because salvation was not meant to just stay with you. It was handed to you so that it would go to somebody else. That's how Jesus works. So I told you there's some historical evidence that this impacted the entire Decapolis. Hellenistic cities that were primed for the gospel of Jesus. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Conclusion for us today. We should read ourselves into the story of the demoniac man and rejoice at being found and being delivered by Jesus because he left the 99 to come after us and then use that thanksgiving as a springboard motivation to seek out others with the intensity that Jesus sought us out. So he shares with this demoniac and what does he do? Hops in the boat and goes to the other side. Jesus' purpose was to be there for that one demoniac man. Brothers and sisters, if this is the heart of our Lord and our Savior, do you think it's worth it for us to go to the other side to do what we can, anything necessary for one, to come to Christ? There's this great, uh, I heard a, a, a church mission, vision statement, whatever you decide it's going to be, and it was this, one more at any cost. I want you to think about that. A whole church living out one more at any cost. Think about that. You think that church blew up? Yeah, because they were willing to pay any cost to get the message of the gospel to whoever would hear it. We know we don't do the saving. We know that church, right? Jesus does that, but we are carriers of the gospel. So even though I don't have my slides for you, here's the so what. Rejoice at the deliverance of Jesus and get motivated to seek others with the intensity that Jesus sought us. 
small group question, and because I don't have those up, um, I can email some of you or text me if you want small group leaders these questions. How do you relate to the demoniac? How do you relate to the demoniac, the man on the other side? And then number two, what would it look like to live the statement one more at any cost? What would it look like for you personally to live the statement one more at any cost? Jesus paid a high cost for us, didn't he? And he displayed that by going after this one man on the other side of the lake to go after those who need it. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to pray for you, and we will dismiss. Um, but as we do, if some of you are here and this brought something up and you need prayer, would you come talk to me? If you're challenged, would you come talk to me? If you're inspired to be desperate for Jesus and for others to hear Jesus, would you come talk to me? Because God has gifted you. I want to know what your gifting is so I can say, go. Would you come talk to me? Church, let's mobilize. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here. And the kingdom is moving. Let's get on board with it. Lord Jesus, I pray for every brother and sister here. God, I pray that they would be charged, uh, God, to more than just a casual God, more of a desperation for you, Lord. I pray a spirit of desperation for you. God, in this faith family, in this area, for the believers, God, let us be those that would be desperate for you because you are truly the only one who can deliver us from the evils of our day and the evils of our Oh, God, we need you. Lord, we pray that desperate plea for you to join us here and that uh, we would get on board with you. All right, brothers and sisters, you are... Uh, uh, dismissed for a time. We have maybe in about five minutes, we've got a family, faith family meeting, uh, First Baptist. So if you're a member, please stick around so that we can vote on an elder. Whoop, whoop. And everybody else, uh, with thank you, you're here. We hope that you can be a part of the family someday by joining us in membership. Not that you're not a part of the family of Jesus. Thank you so much for being here and uh, go in Jesus' name.